it's amazing, isn't it, how quickly things can change. I mean, it would have been unthinkable just a few weeks ago to imagine that we would be isolated in our homes, that the schools, uh, restaurants, uh, theatres, church buildings uh, would all be closed. I mean, it's like we're all under a siege. And yet, I really believe that in the midst of it all, that we are going to see God do some amazing things as he causes his church to arise and shine and bring hope to people's lives around us. I want to show you a famous photograph uh, that many of you would have seen. It's of a man called Vedran Smailovic, and he was living in uh, Sarajevo, the capital of Bosnia, uh, when it was under siege from the Serbian army. It was one of the longest sieges in modern history, and more than 10,000 people were killed. The citizens lived in constant fear of shelling and snipers. Few people ventured out on the streets. Food was in short supply. And uh, one of the many tragedies was when a shell hit a bakery shop, killing 22 people who had been lining up for bread. Vedran Smailovic was living nearby when the bomb hit. He saw the carnage from his window, and he was just overcome with grief. He really wanted to do something about it, but what? He felt so powerless in the face of this onslaught, and yet he felt he must do something. And so he used the gift that God had given him, the gift of music. Smailovic was the principal cellist in the Sarajevo Philharmonic Orchestra. And so it was on May 28th, 1992, he dressed in his, in his formal black tails and he sat down on an old battered stool in the bomb crater where the bakery had been. He played Albinoni's Adagio in G minor. I mean, how bizarre must that have looked and sounded in the midst of the silent ruins of this city? I mean, how impractical. What did he think? that he was going to be able to accomplish. And yet, he played in that crater every day for 22 days. One day for each of the lives that had been lost. Every day, he risked his life to defy the ugliness of the war with the beauty of his music. This beautiful sound rose up from the ruins of the city, reaching the ears of his neighbors and his enemies alike. And he didn't stop there either. He continued playing in different burned out buildings like the one in this photo taken at the city hall. He also played at funerals where he was particularly vulnerable to sniper fire uh, and yet no one shot him. It was like his music kind of repelled the violence. And it certainly had a redemptive effect on the people of his city. You know, his courage, his music, and the joy that he brought them really helped to overcome their fear and gave them hope. And I really believe that this is a picture of what God is calling his church to in these troubled days. That we're called to be 
like a light shining in the darkness. The situation that we are facing may not be as desperate as that, but we are under a siege right now with the coronavirus. Many thousands of people have died around the world, and we don't know how many more. But for now, it's changed the landscape of our society. And I really believe that God is calling us, as Adriana shared earlier on, to lean into him and to use our gifts and, and to, uh, for God to give us creative ways of expressing the gospel that will bring hope and joy to people's lives around us. So I'd like to invite you to read a psalm with me. Last week we read Psalm 46. This week I'm going to read from Psalm 34. And uh, in fact, we were singing it just earlier on. And the psalms are songs. They're prayer songs. They're meant to be sung to music. And it's good to sing, uh, especially when things seem against us. You know, when times seem hard, it's good to make music. Uh, God gave us music to stir our emotions. And, and that's especially powerful when combined with truth, like we see here in Psalm 34. So let's read together from verse 1. This is a psalm of David. He writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, let's just uh, stop there for a second before we go any further, because David here is full of joy and he's calling us, inviting us to praise God with him. So before we go on, it'd be helpful to know something about the situation that he's praising God for. And we're actually told in the footnotes of this psalm that the occasion was when he was fleeing from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. And so David fled to the Philistine king, Achish, uh, who was actually also uh, seeking after him. He was hostile to him as well. So it's a bit like out of the frying pan into the fire. David was being sieged on, on all sides, it seems. So he pretended to be insane. He managed to escape to find refuge in a cave. David's circumstances were anything but good. And so this song that David is singing is a little bit like that cello music rising up from the ruins in the middle of a siege. Magnify the Lord with me, he says. And then he goes on to explain why. So let's read on now from verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Some translations say radiant with joy. And their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you, his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. In other words, he's saying, you know, even those at the top of the food chain suffer want and hunger, 
but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, I'd just like to highlight three things that really stood out to me in that passage of Scripture that I think will be helpful for us in these days. And the first thing I see here is that God is magnified as we come together in his name. Verse 3, David says, Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now, David could have just carried on praising God all by himself. But, you know, God is exalted. He is magnified all the more when we do it together. So each one of us, you know, we can be praying and praising God on our own in isolation. But God did not create us to be alone. In fact, he said it's not good for man to be alone. We were created to be social beings. We need one another, much as we might like to think otherwise. And it's at times like this, you know, when we're all experiencing this kind of social isolation that that need becomes all the more apparent. You know, this is a time when we need one another more than ever. This is a time when we need less I and more we. You know, there are people around us who are elderly uh, or disabled. There are people with health issues, with mental health issues, people with practical needs, uh, financial needs, uh, parents who are struggling uh, with their children at home and so on. And so this is a time when more than ever we need to find ways of experiencing togetherness, using our creativity and our technology to encourage one another and to help one another. And as we do that, God is magnified. You know, the more people who join together in worship, and I'm not just talking about in praise and in prayer, but actually uh, in offering our lives as an act of worship, as we serve others. So then God is magnified all the more, uh, and he is made known. You know, when the church comes together in unison, using the diverse gifts that God has given us to bless others, God is magnified. God is glorified. It's so encouraging uh, to see this happening spontaneously in our church body. You know, seeing on Facebook uh, Rebecca Forsey and Caitlin Caswell, both of whom are qualified uh, children educators, offering help and resources to parents who are now needing to educate their children at home. Uh, seeing Christy Hoffman start an online prayer group to bring people together and to create a pandemic of prayer against this virus. As a church, we are in the process of creating about 20 virtual community groups so that everyone in our church can feel uh, supported and connected. And we're also forming a large team of about 40 or 50 volunteers that we're calling our Frontier Angels. Uh, they're going to be available to provide practical help, like running errands, delivering meals, getting shopping, or getting medication to those who need it. Uh, in fact, when I sent out an email this past week, someone got in touch right away, and this particular angel provided childcare for the women at Lydia's House of Hope so that they could participate in the uh, Genesis program online. We're also planning on having our angels work with Operation Blessing to deliver meals to senior citizens here on the seacoast. So 
If you want to be a frontier angel, please get in touch. Though do understand there's no uniform, okay? Now, let's just continue, please, to uh, find creative ways to come together and serve one another. And, and not just those who are you know, within our own church community, but our neighbors and in our cities, right? Because we want to invite them to come and magnify the Lord with us as well. Amen? All right, the second thing that I want to highlight here is that we need a healthy fear of God. We need a healthy fear of God. I know some people are going to react to that, but please uh, just bear with me for a minute. Look in verse 7, David says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. In verse 9, he says, Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. They lack nothing. So those who fear the Lord can expect A, that God will deliver them, and B, that God will provide for them. So this is important. And yet, in verse 4, David says he sought the Lord and he delivered him from all his fears. So what we see in this passage is that there is a fear of the Lord and then there's the fear of everything else. And clearly, we need to be able to distinguish between these two things. So there are many things that we may fear in our life. You know, uh, some of you may be experiencing right fear right now because of the coronavirus. Uh, fear of getting infected. Uh, fear of uh, going without. Fear of uh, losing finances or losing a job. Uh, maybe even fear of losing your life or losing a loved one. Fear of death. You know, we're all familiar with these fears, aren't we? They, they threaten our well-being. So what does it mean then to fear the Lord? How do we reconcile that with the fact that over and over again in the Bible, God says to his people, do not fear. Uh, in fact, in Isaiah 41 verse 10, he says this, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. In other words, if God is with us, we don't need to fear anything else. Or as David is seeming to be saying here in this psalm, it's like he's saying, fear God and he will deliver you from everything else that you fear. So what does that mean then? Does it mean that we, you know, we have to cower before God, like we need one tyrant to deliver us from all these other tyrants in our lives? Well, hopefully you'll know that that is not the case because David says here, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Or what about in the New Testament in 1 John 4 where it says this, God is love. It says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. So whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So in other words, those who know God's love need fear nothing. And whatever it means to fear God, it does not mean we have to fear his punishment. So it must be, therefore, an altogether different kind of fear, a good kind of fear, a holy fear. The kind of fear that the 
disciples of Jesus experienced one time when they went through a terrible storm at sea. And at first, they feared that they were going to lose their lives because of the ferocity of this storm. They thought they were all going to die. But Jesus, with a word of command, he delivered them from their fear as he stilled the storm. He calmed the storm and the waves. But then it says this in Mark 4.41. It says, And then they were filled with great fear. So they'd been afraid of the storm, but now they were even more afraid. It says then, They said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were filled with awe and wonder, with with a godly fear of the majesty and the power of the God who had just rescued them. John Piper uh, gives a good illustration about this. He said this, he said, picture yourself climbing in the mountains. Imagine you're in the Himalaya mountains, and you're on this massive rock face and you see a storm in the distance coming, and you know this is going to be a terrible storm, a fierce storm, and, and suddenly you feel unbelievably vulnerable, exposed there on the rock face. You're very afraid. And so you, you desperately look for somewhere where you might be able to seek refuge um, and, uh, so that you're not going to get blown off this precipice. And then you find this hole, like this, this crevice in the rock, uh, a, a little cave to hide in. It's a refuge from the storm. You're safe. But even so, as you gratefully watch that storm go by, it's still with a sense of awe and trembling at its power. At first, you were afraid that this terrible storm could take your life, but then you found refuge. And the fear of what might have happened to you has now gone. But there still remains this awesome fear, this respect for the storm. And so John Piper put it like this. He said, The fear of God is what is left of the storm when you have a safe place to watch right in the middle of it. He said, Oh, the thrill of being here in the center of the awful power of God and yet protected by God himself. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our safe place. He is our refuge. He is our hiding place. He is the one who took the full force of the storm in our place. You know, it was when Jesus was crucified that the sky went black and the full force of hell's fury was unleashed upon him. Jesus experienced the ultimate plague. He experienced the ultimate isolation as he carried all of our sins and sorrows dying on that cross. And yet, he overcame it all. He rose from the dead, and it was so that whoever believes in him, whoever will come to him, will find refuge from the storm. Right? So the fear of God is not this kind of cowering fear. It's the fear of the one who commands the wind and the waves the one who goes into the ultimate storm on our behalf, absorbing its full fury and then overcomes it. He is the one who created the whole universe that we cannot even comprehend. 
Right? He is the one who the Bible says is before all things and who sustains all things. He's the one who causes nations to rise and to fall and who will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. He may not have caused this pandemic, but you can be sure he is sovereign over it. He will bring good out of it, and that is a fearsome thing. You know, there are two forces at work in this world. There's Jesus, and there's the storm. The problem is, we can't control either. And if this virus teaches us anything, it's that we are not as in control of our lives as we like to think. And that is a terrifying thought for those who feel a need to be in control. So where do we turn? You know, what's the difference between these two uncontrollable forces? You know, Jesus and the storm. Well, there's a huge difference. There's a massive difference. The difference is the storm doesn't love you. The storm doesn't love you. And the other big difference is Jesus overcame the storm. That's the difference between the fear of the Lord in all his power and majesty and then the fear of everything else. The difference is God is good and he loves you. That's what David is saying. That's his experience here in Psalm 34 when he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David's circumstances were still difficult. I mean, his life was still under threat, but he'd seen how God had delivered him in the past, and he trusted that God would deliver him in the future. And the fact is, you know, that like David, we will still have troubles in this life. In fact, the Bible tells us that. It tells us later on here in, in the psalm, in verse 19, uh, David says there, many are the afflictions of the righteous, in other words, the one who belongs to God, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Right? For all who have made Jesus their refuge, we know that there is an ultimate deliverance coming, where one day there's going to be no more sickness and no more death, and we will know unspeakable joy and peace for all eternity, and all of our troubles and all of our sorrows in this life will seem just like a drop in the ocean of pleasure and unimaginable bliss that God has in store for us. So let me ask you today, have you made Jesus your refuge? Have you made Jesus your refuge? You don't need to fear him, but he is fearsome. He's overcome the world for you. And if you know that, then you will radiate joy. And that's really my third and final point here, that we will radiate joy. Right, verse 5 says, those who look to him are radiant with joy. And the image there is of someone whose face has lit up. They're radiant. Their face is lit up. It's a bit like a little boy, if you can imagine, a little boy in hospital undergoing treatment where there really isn't a whole lot to be joyful about but then someone pays him a very special visit. And into that hospital ward comes his most favorite superhero. 
it's Hugh Jackman dressed as Wolverine. And suddenly this little boy's face lights up, beaming, great big smile, and whatever else was worrying him, and whatever procedures he was fearing, before it just all now melts away in the presence of his hero. And that's really what David is saying here about the presence of his hero, his deliverer. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He came to me. Those who look to him, he says, are radiant with joy. Right? Their faces light up. And so I just want to really encourage us all in this, that you know, in the midst of all the fear and the anxiety in our cities right now, let's be those whose faces shine with hope and joy. If you know Jesus as your refuge, then let your words and your actions be full of joy so that your whole disposition will be saying to people, look, taste and see that the Lord is good. We really have got good news worth sharing, right? Jesus can be your refuge too. Let's be like Vedran Smailovich, bringing joy to people in the midst of a siege. And it doesn't have to be just an expression of joy. It can actually be therapeutic joy. I was reading uh, an interesting article in the Spectator magazine by the former chief rabbi of the UK, uh, Jonathan Sachs. And he's written some great books. But he was writing this article about the annual Jewish festival of Purim. Uh, that's, it was actually celebrated just over a week ago. And he called it the oddest of all the Jewish festivals. Uh, it commemorates the events that are recorded in the book of Esther in the Old Testament when the Jewish people were rescued from Haman's plot. And Haman, he was the chief advisor to the king of Persia, and he'd made a plan uh, to, quote, destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day. But thankfully, his plans were foiled by the Jewish queen, Esther. And so the day of their deliverance has been celebrated by the Jewish people ever since in this festival of Purim. And at the time of Purim, people will they'll send charitable gifts to the poor. They'll exchange presents uh, with one another. Uh, there'll be a reading from the book of Esther. And every time the name of the villain, Haman, is mentioned, everyone makes a riotous noise. Boo! There's a celebratory meal. And then Sachs says uh, it's the one day in the year when it's considered a religious duty to drink slightly too much alcohol. <laughs> and then Sachs wrote this about the festival. Now listen to this. This is interesting. This is what he wrote. He said, This might fit within the conventional parameters of rejoicing, were it not for what the book of Esther records, the most drastic warrant for genocide in Jewish history. He says the plan was foiled, yet it is deeply strange to regard an escape from genocide as an occasion for rejoicing. He said, what I think Purim is, is not expressive joy, but therapeutic joy. The joy that defeats fear. He says, you conquer terror by collective celebration. Precisely because the threat was so serious, you refuse to be serious. And in that refusal, you are doing something very serious indeed. 
You are denying your enemies a victory. He says you are declaring that you will not be intimidated. In fact, Sachs goes on to say that someone once summarized the Jewish festivals in three sentences. They tried to destroy us. We survived. Let's eat. I love that. He also said, what you can laugh at cannot hold you captive. I just think there are some profound insights there. You know, what we're facing today with the threat of the coronavirus is no laughing matter. And I know it can't possibly be compared to a genocide, but globally, you know, it's very serious and has put fear into the hearts of many. And it's a fear that can hold us captive, you know, where we feel maybe powerless to do anything. It's a fear that can isolate us and bring us down. And so that's why we need to be looking to Jesus, understanding that he is our deliverer, that he is greater than any virus, that he is sovereign over the economy, he is sovereign over our lives, he is sovereign over all things. He's already overcome the world, right? He has conquered death, and he is our refuge. And in him, our eternal future is secure. That's why David could say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. But maybe you don't feel able to express joy right now because maybe you're just not feeling it, you know, with all that is going on around you. But there is this therapeutic joy, right, where we choose to bless him and praise him and rejoice anyway because joy defeats fear. Joy is declaring we will not be intimidated, like playing a cello during a siege. Or like the Italians that we saw on the news last week who refused to let the quarantine get them down. Um, here's a quick video clip if you didn't see it. church in these days are going to be leading the choir, uh, that they're the ones that are going to be conducting the celebration, finding ways to bring joy and hope to our cities and communities, taking initiatives like the Frontier Angels, but, but you know, many, many more, large and small, uh, from individuals and small groups and so on. May God bless us with creativity and show us the opportunities so that together we can make a difference.
and so that God will be magnified. Right? May our words and actions give people a taste of God's goodness that they will taste and see that the Lord truly is good. Amen? We're going to close now uh, by singing the song, My Jesus, My Savior. But let me just say, if you are in need of prayer or you would like maybe someone to pray with you over the phone, please get in touch with us. All right, you can contact us, email us at hello at newfrontierschurch.com. We'd love to hear from you.